Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A. You all ask the questions and we answer. I am joined by my fierce, fearless, and gorgeous co-host, Kristen, Doctor of Physical Therapy. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> the crowd. Yes. We should we <laughs> actually we should start putting in some some sound effects. <sighs> yeah, exactly. All right, launching <laughs> right in. We've got great questions as always. So starting with Ange78, have you heard about the Bowspring Yoga Method? What are your thoughts? Well, you asked the questions, we're going to answer. Have you heard of it? I have. I've been asked this question a lot because it's, it seems to be popular in regions of the world. So I don't think it's really popular in the US. I think there's pockets, but there's pockets of Europe where it's super popular. So Bowspring uh, Yoga, first of all, it was developed by the same guy who developed Anyasara. So right away, I'm suspicious because he is whatever, you know, like he's one of the white males who became a guru and really took advantage of his position. But there was a lot of Anusara that I did not groove with from a physical therapy perspective. So he took some of that and applied it to bowspring yoga. I, I have very strong opinion about it. I think it's stupid. Here's why. It's actively promoting anterior pelvic tilt. You should just YouTube it. Actively promoting it. So let's be clear. The pelvis is made to move. That is absolutely important. If your pelvis doesn't move, there's going to be problems. Anterior tilted pelvis, moving into anterior tilt, moving into posterior tilt, you want to be able to do those. To promote moving into anterior tilted pelvis and then do all these movements is not functionally sound. In 
most circumstances, your pelvis really is going to benefit the whole machine of your body by staying in neutral because it's transmitting energy most effectively that way. So I don't know really what the purpose was to... uh, Are you looking at any of this stuff, Kristen? Kristen should Google it right now. Yeah. It's astounding. I was like, oh, because somebody... So this one woman asked me years ago, uh, she's like, oh my gosh, I've been doing bowstring and it's bowspring and it's just changing my life. It feels so great. And I thought, oh, well, cool. Let me look at it. And I looked at it. I was flabbergasted. Well, come to learn that this woman is living in anterior tilted pelvis. So when she was going and practicing and trying to get neutral, it felt really hard and it might have not even felt good. But that doesn't mean you go and you just, it's basically allowing her to just live in that position and then just move and move and move. You know, I hope this isn't the case, but at some point that is not, that's going to really bite her in the butt because anterior tilted pelvis, just by the, by the look of it, you can see is putting uh, your low back in a compressive state. And therefore you're not, again, transmitting that energy up through a nice neutral spine, but you're going right into those, the shortened tissues there. The facet joints are off-centered. It's it's just not good. So I do not know what what he was thinking, but I am just, if you're going to ask me the question, this is my opinion. If you love it, whatever, go for it. But biomechanically, it is not sound. (laughs) Kristen's looking at Googling right now. I'm seriously, if you could see my face, you would be (laughs) laughing. But I also get whenever anything says 10 key you know, like, t- like there's 10 key postures. Like to me, you just, functional movement is not limited that mm-hmm. way. You know, we are built to move in multiple ways. We are, we are all built differently to your point. In as a, we see a lot of anterior pelvic tilt in general, why you would ever go, for, especially in yoga, especially in yoga. So, you know, why you would push that further, I don't understand. But I also just, whenever I see, that's why I don't like a lot of yogas that's just very repetitive. 26 postures, 10 key areas. It's like, I love lit because it gives me the freedom to move fully mm-hmm. and freely and safely. So I will have to definitely look into this more fully. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll probably share your opinion very closely. Yeah. Again, like I've just observed it from looking at it um, very minimally, but right away I had some instincts. And I, you know, from the outside, it just seems like someone who had a yoga form. And he was ostracized from that for good reason. And that, and just kind of has parlayed it into something different. It'd be different if it was like, oh my gosh, this was this revolutionized the way my low back felt. It, this just seems nonsensical to me. So there you go. We have strong opinions about movement. So that's always a, <laughs> a, a, little, yeah, a little warning there. All right. Going into safer territory. Here we go. E. Gunno. Thoughts on running as a form of exercise? Do you have recommendations for proper form? Kristen's the big runner. I was a runner in my past years, but go ahead, Kristen. Running is, is great for exercise. There is, a, there is an amount that becomes too much. So, um, you know, I used to run marathons. To me, that's just, it's too much for my body. But they do, studies have shown that people who run moderate speed, you know, with, yes, but we have to form in a second, but small amounts, three or four days a week, 
it builds cartilage. You know, I mean, it's 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 weight bearing. It is good for the body. It keeps your BMI, you know, your body weight down, which is a huge thing. You know, we always say, oh, running on the knees, but more people who are have knee arthritis are more likely obese or you know having those issues versus people who run a lot. So I do think that running is a good. Studies have shown it. Then a lot of studies have shown small amounts, moderate amounts of running, not you know professional level running, but just your active three miles, whatever jogging is good for you. Uh, but form matters a lot, um, and so I don't care what you're doing. If you're running three miles a day with your knees buckling in, or you know hyper anything, hyper extension in the low back, hyperpronation, it's going to add up. So form, if you're a runner and you're having issues, I would always come back to looking at form and making little changes there. I have to do it. You know, sometimes I have to get up on the balls of my feet because I just feel too much pressure through my knees. It's years of running and it is what it is. I don't know. What what are your thoughts as a rehab runner? Yeah. So I was I was a big runner. I mean, I really, you know, when when you're a runner, you kind of really identify with that. So I identified with it for a long time. All through, I would say all through my 20s, right up until I gave birth to Olivia at almost 33. And then after giving birth to her, I was running some more. It felt different, of course. But I did that probably up until 35, was doing some like, you know, shorter distance and stuff. What I would say is running is amazing. I mean, we, there's a book. We are born to run. We are bipedal. We're made, we have the perfect machinery to run. The caveat is that our life gets in the way. And then our movement patterns and our habits and our restrictions and blah, blah, blah come into our running, just like they would into our yoga. So I look at it like, um, like I did when I was re-examining the way yoga is being taught is like, how can I better take my body, other people's bodies that have had life happen to them and bring them onto the mat and prepare them a little bit more? So going right into vinyasa practice without preparation, all you're doing is reinforcing those habits in a way. It might feel good momentarily, and but it's not you're not changing maybe some habits. So I would suggest the same thing with running is like prepare the body a little bit before you go. You don't have to do a lot. You don't have to stretch, by the way. You could just start with like our reset or something that's right, going to get you into a neutral pelvis, get your shoulders a little more mobile, get your hips ready to go, and then go. But like Kristen said, I think you know low mileage running on good surfaces is amazing. It's amazing cardiovascularly. It's, it's, ama- it's amazing uh, for your spirit, for your, you know, all your your happy hormones that keep you sane and, and non-stressed. Um, and yet studies have shown again and again that there is a lot, it's like anything, there's a lot of positive until you get to too much. You get to too much running, it's actually, the ne- there's a lot of negative, a lot of negative, you know, really aging your cells, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't have to worry about that unless you're doing high mileage. But yeah, low mileage a couple times a week, amazing. I think it's great. And yeah, form, just work on holding your core, like, have a little feeling of like some tautness in your core when you're running because you're that's your center again. You're t- taking energy from the ground through the legs. You want to feel like you're 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 like a little spring. You're just returning that energy. So like Kristen was saying, sometimes she'll go more on the balls of her feet or something because you want to feel like you're not loading for long, but it's a return and a return. 
but it's lovely. I, I do miss running and I always say, oh, maybe I'll get back into it. And I will, maybe. <laughs> All right. Okay. Vinyasa flow yoga. Actually, a couple of people asked this so much that I actually made a post about it, but this will be a couple of weeks past that post. So what about seeing forward and forearm balance? And another person asked about the same type thing about the lifting of the head and forearm balance, why, why we don't instruct that. So we have a neutral neck in our forearm balance in our dolphin. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's to, to your point of what you did post, the low back is going to go right along with the neck. So as soon as you start extending that neck, you're more than likely going to extend in your low back, which disengages the core or the anterior pelvis. Then you tend to kind of sink into your shoulders. It is a lot harder to do it your, your way, our way, because you, as soon as you especially move that head, your inner ear changes and your balance shifts. So you're, you are really having to tap into, you take your eyes out of it, essentially, until you get steady there and then you're good. But that transition of you know, people who start here and then start looking between their hands and then come to that neutral, same thing with a handstand. You know, trying to do the gaze back with a handstand, that that transition, that movement of the head, those inner ear canals tell your brain that, whoa, stuff is shifting and you have to respond in kind with your body. So it is harder for sure, but it's so much better with a stack. Stack through, it's your stacked more, you know, elbows under shoulders, under hips, under ankles, uh, which gives you a neutral spine. And, you know, that's kind of the name of the game with lit yoga. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And it's like what you said. And I love that you brought the vestibular system in there because there are so many components to balance. There's strength, there's flexibility, there's proprioception, there's vestibular, there's vision. And so much of the neurological input and output that we get is that responsiveness to balance, losing our balance, all that. And so these fine, we're fine-tuning our nervous system by not relying on our vision and that's one thing, but also what you said is what I see is a lot of people can get up into forearm balance with their head lifted. And that's great. I used to as well, but you're actually kind of, almost, it's almost like you've widened that base of support by lifting your head because you can then kind of counter with your low back. You just kind of seesaw. You've got a bigger range to kind of experience balance versus you take your head out of you, take that those uh, excessive curves um, that are balancing each other, and you don't have that. It, you are literally in a very tight rope. And that's nerve-wracking for some people. But I'll tell you, once you get past it and you get in it, you will feel like I could. I feel so safe and balanced, in, especially in forearm balance. I mean, forearm balance, I feel like I just could stay in for minutes. Handstand, I you know definitely start to lose that core endurance because it's... There's just much more going on. But yeah, it's just forearm balance, work on it. It's harder, go slower. You've got to rely on your core because you can't rely on your neck and your neck shouldn't be balancing you anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Sabrina Koenig, is it true? Oh, this is good. That the hip and jaw are connected. I heard I should open hips, quote unquote, because I clench my teeth. So I think what she's trying to say is, if you're clenching your teeth, is that also like gripping in your hips? You want to speak to that or you want, I guess I could, I'll start off 
since you started the last one. Yes. Well, first of all, anytime you clench your teeth, there, you know, there are there can be benefits to it. Like it can actually solid, you know, sometimes actually in handstands, sometimes I'll notice I'm not clenching, but I just if I have my teeth together, it helps solidify the position of my neck and the position of my core. So I don't think of that as clenching, but I do feel like when I'm holding them together, it's like stabilizing me. I think you're referring to is people get in the habit of clenching their teeth and it's like, oh, the tight, you know, like you're squeezing your ass too. Like the tight asshole feeling like that you're just like, you're just a type A person, you're clenching everywhere. And there are, there are, there are fascia connections. Again, fascia is this connective tissue that is ubiquitous. It's miles and miles long. It's more and more is discovered about it year by year, but essentially it's wrapping around your muscles, your organs, it's wrapping muscle cells around each other. I mean, it's really everywhere. And so it's like if you put on a shirt and you pull one end of it, it, it doesn't just affect at that end, it affects at the other end. So if you think similarly, if you're clenching your teeth, there's fascia within your jaw that actually wrap around your skull and come down and do connect to parts of your hip joint. So there is there, that there is actually evidence, and you can try it yourself. If you soften and you unclench your jaw and even maybe open it, and when you're in something where you're stretching your hip, there could be a real, you might feel like a real softening, a little bit more availability there. You have any thoughts? Yeah, no, I would agree with you there. You know, almost with a parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system type, you know, that, that clenching is that, that fight or flight where we, we don't move, we do kind of, and then it's that parasympathetic where you let go, you release, you open. And, you know, there's a very strong connection between the jaw and, you know, that vagus nerve and, you know, yawning and all this stuff gets tripped by the nervous system as well. So you've got fascial connections, you've got nervous system connections, and it's not just the hip. I think it's like, it's, it's shoulders, it's the whole body. Uh, when you're clenching your teeth, I think it's a telltale sign of sometimes it can be the little red flag that something is going on somewhere else in many different ways. But I love your description of the pulling on the shirt and how it's not just going to affect it there. It's going to affect it down lower. And the, when you think of the connection of the jaw to the skull, which is to the neck, which is part of the core, the hips, the core, you know, it's all connected. It is. And anybody that is a real jaw clencher you are more likely to experience headaches, shoulder pain, nerve stuff. Like it, um, it is, it's, it's a doozy. So you need to work on that. Uh, I know so many people who have the mouth guards at night because they just are like, because <sighs> at night, what do you do? You process a lot of stuff from, from your, in, that's dwelling in your brain, you know, and you can't help it if you're more highly wired, but you can help that state. You know, you can't change to be a relaxed person. That's just not, but you can help your nervous system. And there are lots of ways of doing that. But like you said, consciously thinking, unclench, breathe. These little tiny moments where you can trigger that parasympathetic nervous system to take over are so important for anybody that are jaw clenchers. All right. April Golden. Are there poses where length of arms, legs, torso come into play and have to adjust? We've been asked questions like this, but she's asking it actually from, I think people have asked about like length of their arm or something. 
leg length discrepancies. Are there any poses where the length of the arm and legs and torso come into play and have to adjust? Hmm. I think so, definitely. Being someone who I benefit from my long arms, um, it enables me to do, I have long skinny arms that enable, but I'm strong, so I can do a lot of the weird binds. Uh, not that I'm recommending doing a lot of weird binds, but I can do them because of the length of my arms. And there are people in my classes, my husband, who he's thicker, he's bulkier. So, and his arms aren't as long as compared to his body. Uh, I have a tall torso, which gives me, my pelvis is further away from my shoulders when it comes to me getting into a handstand so and a shorter hamstring. So I have a different approach than someone with a longer leg with a longer hamstring that's able to get a better set going into a, let's say, a standing split handstand hop. Pyramid pose, you know, length of joints. I think maybe we're talking more length of muscle is, is also, a, you know, hamstring, bending the knees, keeping the spine long. It's a little bit more work with a long torso. Not more work, I think just more intention. So I think absolutely. It's just body type is going to benefit people in some ways. That's why tall people are basketball players and short people are gymnasts. It's the center of gravity. You know, it's a length thing. And and the same thing will be with poses. I think certain poses are affected by, I mean, half moon. If you've got long limbs, you've got, you know, you don't have to use a block as much, just and you're still pretty lifted. So what do you think? I mean, I... I agree. I what so. I do is, um, what I would say, all those things. I would say that let's... What I would concern myself with is prioritizing the center, your pelvis, your spine. Then it's like, well, how long your limbs are or how long even your torso is doesn't really matter. You will just do what you need to do to continue to keep your pelvis neutral and your spine neutral as much as what depending on what you're doing. So but you know say you're extending your back like in a in bow pose. You know if you have shorter arms there, longer torso, you might not be able to get to your legs. That's okay. So you could grab a strap or you could just just do locus. You know what I'm saying like I think it's fine to be satisfied with what your body is able to do if you are sticking to the like the the strong parameters that we put in place which is we want an integrated core we want a neutral spine and neutral pelvis and work from that place and then if something yeah. feels like we need to get a block to help us bend a knee whatever it is to do that you do it so that that's do what it. i yeah that's what i really say that you know sometimes i've seen people in down dog who are more like it seems that like with shorter arms, quote unquote, and a longer torso, they might be more dipping in their shoulders. So sometimes you just bring more awareness to certain kind of cueing or energy feelings. I think always it's like, how are you pulling into your center and do whatever you need to do to do that? Absolutely. All right. Last question. Jumping back into plank safely. This is by Haley Sui Sue W. Always heard that and taught to jump back with bent elbows. Well, we know this is uh, taught by many people and almost taught in a threatening, sometimes in a threatening way. Like I've been to classes literally where the guy was like, jump right into chaturanga, don't jump into plank. Do not jump into plank, jump into chaturanga. So I, I think I'm hoping that's actually done less now, but I do still, I still am bewildered by how many people 
are frightened to jump into plank with their arms straight, that that somehow they're going to like, I don't know, break their back or break their elbows. And I always say, think of a burpee, like you're jumping back. I mean, we don't, we don't think of it in, unless we apply it to yoga. And it's again, one of these things where the cueing has just been almost brainwashed people. And I have spoken about this until I'm blue in the face. You can see about it on a lot of my Instagram posts, but why don't you say your thoughts on it? And I'm sure they're similar. Well, they are, and that's that is one that that is one of the cues. When I first got into yoga, I never understood why the hell can't I jump back into a plank with my arms straight? Why are you asking me to bend my elbows? And especially looking around the room and seeing what happens there, people dip into their shoulders or their back, their low back. You know, so um, that's not to say. And I know that the the thought is you don't want to hyperextend. You you know, to say the arms are straight does not mean they're locked out. So you know, I wouldn't say jump back with and lock out your elbows. Right. But I never understood that cue. You are stronger when your arms are straight and your core is engaged. It's harder to jump back and bend the elbows and go right. You have to have a lot of core control that. Most people, quite frankly, don't have, or it takes years to get. So why are we cueing that right out of the gate? Why are we cueing it at all for starters? But, you know, I don't know. I agree with you. Something got twisted in the translation X number of years ago, and it became a brainwashing. This is how you cue it. And as a physical therapist coming in, never having done yoga eight, 10 years ago, whatever it was now, 10 years ago, um, I just was like, what is it? I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. But I always say when people have said, made the argument like, well, if you jump back with straight arms, somebody could really hurt their low back. And I said, if somebody's that weak, they shouldn't be jumping back, period. They should be walking there. Back. If, you're really, if you're worried that much about somebody's low back, they shouldn't be jumping. They should just walk back and really work on holding their shit together. Yeah. But then you think that's going to go away when you tell them to, bend their elbows and jump back. No way. They're, they're going to, it's going to be worse. And then it's going to also bleed into their shoulders. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So my art thoughts are, of course, it's safe to jump back into plank with straight elbows. If you, you know, if you're active in the core and, and you're light on your toes and you don't, you know, if you land heavy, that's a dead giveaway. You're not holding your, your core together. Uh, if you land lightly, that means you are well, distri- you're distributing that energy. Um, the other thing that is that is lost sometimes, well, that's always lost if you land with bent elbows, but people don't acknowledge this enough, is the opportunity of actually learning how to eccentrically lower with control. So that that's kind of redundant. When you're lowering, you're using eccentric control. But your triceps get a wonderful um, strengthening when you land with your elbows straight and then you bend and you're lowering with control with the head of your humerus centered. The triceps are decelerating because you already got gravity working. Like it's redundant. You're lowering and you've got gravity lowering you. Well, what you have to do is resist that. So your core has to work. Your triceps have to hold the humeral heads from dropping down. It's amazing. It's a great strengthening tool. So it's, I don't look at it as, I think it's more, it's more strength required to be able to jump back and lower with control than to just jump and land with your elbows. Like Kristen said, probably less than 1% people, probably even less than that, like zero point something percent, could land with beautiful core control 
with their elbows bent, their shoulders centrated and all that. That is that is just very few people. You know, it's not like, okay, work on that, work on that, work on that, like you work on a handstand. Working on that is working on it the way we're doing it. And then I don't, like, I think I could do it, but I don't have any desire to. Why? Because that means that every single time I do it, I better do it well, or I could really put some major strain on the anterior compartment of my shoulders, which I'm just not willing to do. They're delicate, you know? You've just got your tendons there and ligaments and capsule and labrum, and I'm just not willing to take that chance on my shoulders. I want them working well into my hundreds. (laughs) I love it. Hundreds. Hundreds, that's right. As long as I'm moving and and thinking well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, these were great questions. Thank you guys. Keep them coming. You can always write me or Kristen. She's on Instagram at kbwilliams99. And um, you can find me at laura.hyman and write either one of us, Kristen with like I, two two eyes at lityoga.com or laura at lityoga.com and leave us some questions. Thank you, honey. Always a pleasure so fun. And thank you all for listening. As always, we are pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.